you in the lobby lockdown. We've got Paul Worsling from uh, Channel 10's iFish and uh, he's joining me today in lockdown. Welcome, Paul. Good to see you. I am in lockdown. I'm locked down in my fishing room, so there could be worse places. Exactly, exactly. And I just want to give people a quick background. You and I actually went to school with each other from, from grade prep, grade one, right through um, high school. So I think you're a year younger than me, but we actually know each other quite well through, um, through growing up, so in, in Cranbourne. Yes, it's amazing <laughs> the amount of people who uh, pop back into your life that you grew up with, and it's really nice to catch up. It is lovely to catch up, and it's um, and I've been following your career, Paul. You've had an outstanding career, and uh, I just wanted to speak with you today. And and I have a lot of um, followers with Senior Stays, as as you know, I've got Senior Stays travel website. They just adore uh, adore fishing and uh, and follow you, no doubt. And uh, I just want a little bit. We want to go back to where it all started for you and your uh, and your background. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting story, and I suppose uh, it's it's a it's a really nice one for people to hear in a way, uh, not because it's mine and it's all that interesting, but what it proves is that anybody in Australia, particularly, can pretty much achieve anything that they want to achieve. And uh, you said before we grew up in Cranbourne, St Agatha's, and went to St Francis Xavier, and with no disrespect to Cranbourne, Cranbourne is not the the greatest place on the planet if you're growing up that you could possibly turn into something good. It would be easy to go down a life of many other things and um, I suppose the easiest way to put it is it's a very low socioeconomic area. It, it still is to this day. So I'm pretty proud of the fact that to, to come from Cram and to come from a very, um, I won't say poor, but a family that didn't have a lot, it's very nice to have been able to achieve the things that I wanted to achieve and, and live my dreams. And there's not a day goes past and I don't pinch myself and just go, where did all this come from? And if I had have told 15-year-old me that one day I'd be doing the things I'm doing, done the things I've done and and just live the life I've lived, I'd literally tell you you're an idiot. I'd say, Paul, you're an idiot. That's not going to happen. So it, it actually feels very surreal. Um, but I was just a kid who liked the idea of going fishing. Nobody in my family fished. I'm the youngest of five kids. Um, my dad never fished. My dad just worked hard. And uh, I just decided that I wanted to make fishing my life because I saw my dad work way too hard for too little result. And um, here I am at 47. I've actually made a bit of a go of it. I'm doing okay. You've done well. And you've been very modest because I tell you, I remember you at school and uh, you were always, one thing that, that always stood out to me is you're always a, a real go-getter. And I always remember you're always full of beans. You're always happy. You're always a happy kid. I remember on the you and I used to be the last ones on the school bus. I think they called it the tissue box. Remember the tissue box? And, yep. um, and I always remember you were, you were always a happy guy and I think you, I think you were a kid that, that had an open mind. So obviously, you've, you know, you've taken that whatever opportunities you've got and you've run with them. And um, so which brings me to, to you when you were a teenager, if you can just explain where your career started because it started there in Cranbourne. It, it did. So I started, uh, I started working at Kmart in Crab. My dad made me get a job when I was 14, which I hated because I couldn't go fishing as much as I liked. And basically worked my way into the sporting goods section because I didn't want to work in the plant section because that sucked. So finally got moved to sporting goods and I got a little customer base when I was 14 years old because I was just so passionate about fishing. And um, eventually then I was joined a local fishing club and the guy who owned the fishing club decided to open a tackle store, a fishing tackle store. So I was pumped because... I thought I'm going to get a job in a tackle store. I eventually moved from Kmart 
to get that job in the fishing tackle store. I think I worked there for at least a year or two without getting paid. Just just wanted to be around people. It was my dream job. I didn't need money to make it work. And I think that's an important lesson for a lot of people. A lot of people, they want to be a pilot or they want to be a hotel manager, whatever, but they want to be there then. They don't want to start by sweeping the floor and doing the crap jobs. And my philosophy always was, no matter what job you're doing at the time, and I used to do some horrible jobs like clean the toilets at the fishing shop or sweep the floors that came up, I always just thought to myself, do the very best job you can do at anything because you just never know who's going to be watching. And eventually the right people watched in the right places and I just kept going and going and going. And um, being in that fishing circle, I joined the angling club, as I said, and I was lucky enough to win a few um, competitions and I won the junior championship. And then the next year I become a senior at 17 and I won the senior championship the following year, which had never been done, which is pretty cool. And I just kept the more I got into fishing, the more I had to be into fishing. I've never done drugs, but I assume it was like a drug. I just, the more I got of it, the more I needed of it. It was just like, yeah. oh my God, what's next? And um, end up going to uni. I did four years at Rusden. It's very hard to believe. I'm a physical education yeah. secondary teacher. Fantastic. Um, I, was, I was laughing with a mate of mine this morning. I went to uni with, I said, the, the greatest joy in my life is telling people I'm a secondary teacher, physical education, because I just laugh. Um, did you ever teach? Did you ever actually go into teaching? I taught for three days emergency teaching. Um, so I literally did three days while I was having a bit of a gap year after uni. And it was in that period of time that my boss rang me and said, I want you to buy the business off me. So oh, I was wow. 22. 22. I had no idea about business as such as, you know, I had an idea, but I had no clue how it all worked because business, as you know, is pretty full on. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the help of my parents, um, because they owned their house, they actually put their house up so I could uh, use it as collateral. At the time, I didn't even know what collateral was, which is funny when you look back <laughs> on it. So they put their house on the line for me to, to lend the money um, or borrow the money. I'm not sure what the correct English is there. And um, I basically then had this massive debt overhanging and I was 22, still living with my parents and I was working seven days a week in the business. And it was amazing. I bought that business where I'd worked for seven years previously and it took about four days for the business to turn around and, and just grow ridiculously after I took over. Like, I took over on the 9th of the 9th, 96, and I'll never forget the first four days was just normal old trade. On the Thursday, a bloke came in and dropped this big whack of cash on a heap of stuff, and it was like he just told the world. But, and I think it was just the enthusiasm that I had and the energy. People wanted to be a part of it. And I had people that wanted to come and work for me for nothing just to be a part of my business all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And um, so I made these incredible friends, and I had people coming from everywhere. And then I decided... Uh, and this is a very short version, but I basically, I'd been writing fishing articles for many years and I'd been uh, doing radio as much as I could and, and the mm-hmm. local newspaper all for free. Yeah. And I finally, I finally did get a gig where I wrote for a fishing magazine. They paid me like 150 bucks uh, an issue. And I was like, I still remember where I was sitting when I heard, got the phone calling and I paid me. And um, then I was doing all this work and I just thought to myself, a magazine article literally is, is about a week to produce because you got to go fishing, get the photos then you got to ride it. It takes a week. And for that week at the time, I was making about 400 bucks. So I was actually going backwards because the fishing part of it was costing me more than that. And I thought if I could just get on TV for half an hour to promote myself and my business, I reckon that'd be worth about a thousand fishing articles, the people I could touch. So I literally just started emailing and ringing Rex Hunt and just saying, you got to take me fishing, you got to take me fishing, you got to take me fishing. Well, I annoyed him for like, I reckon it was two years. That's and brilliant. I just never gave up. And um, 
and we worked in the same circles because I had the fishing shop now and I saw him at different events and we were in the fishing thing together. So basically, eventually I got, I got a phone call and um, I was in Sydney at the time doing some work with Tackle World and basically his production manager said, look, we're struggling to catch a fish. And now that I own a fishing television show, I know that's a, a real problem. Without fish, you struggle. And he said, any ideas? And I had no idea. And I said, yep, 100%. I can organise it. So he said, well, let me know. So I got off the phone. I quickly started thinking. I thought, Port Albert. There's always good fish at Port Albert. Port I rang Albert, the guy yeah. I knew. So um, I rang back and said, this is the plan. These are the dates. Let's, let's do it. And then he said, okay. And I still didn't know what the situation was. I said, look, do you mind if I come along and watch? Because I didn't even know if I was invited. And they said, oh, yeah, you can come. So it was a Sunday afternoon. I worked till six o'clock and then there's a knock on the back door and Rex Hunt's there and he said, well, let's go to Port Albert. So that in itself was huge for me because I'd grown up as a kid and he had been probably one of my greatest heroes at the time because if you're into fishing, you were into Rex Hunt. Yeah. So I'm in the car, you go down to Port Albert and I think this is all pretty bizarre. I'm, I'm part of seeing this gig. So um, we share a hotel room, the dodgiest hotel room you've ever seen. I'll never forget just before <laughs> we went to sleep. He's in the bed next to me. He says, now, Paul, if I stop snoring tonight, wake me up. I said, why? He said, because I'm dead. And, and he snored and I got no sleep. And uh, the next morning we get up at four o'clock, we get on the boat and the guy um, says, oh, come over here. I said, why? He goes, I've got to put a microphone on you. I said, why? He said, because you're doing the show today. And I nearly fell over. So next thing out of the blue, bang, here I am. I'm about to make television. And um, it was the most incredible day. It was a glass out, which I rarely get at Port Albert. My sinker hit the bottom. It was there for about three seconds. And I got this massive bite got a 20 pound snapper which is unheard of put it back down we made the greatest show ever and then they said after that got any other ideas so i gave him another idea we went out we got um hooked seven mako sharks in a day which is still my record by a mile wow. off Philip Island in the yeah. worst conditions ever we still, we still hooked seven mako sharks and then we went to flinders island to organize this next trip and uh the producer walks down to me i'm, I'm wearing tracky pants and a t-shirt on the beach fishing he goes paul you really need to start dressing a little better and i went <laughs> what because I'm just a fisherman. He goes, well, now you're part of the show. You've got to lift your image. And that was him saying to me that I actually had a full-time gig. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So I did that for four years. And um, all of a sudden, you're the co-host on the biggest fishing show in the country out of, out of I say out of nowhere, but I'd probably worked about 20,000 hours for free to get to that position. And that's important and, uh, for people to know. That's exactly right. It didn't happen overnight. Oh, I, I've taken uh, about, what am I, 47 now. So I'm... I've taken about 32 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's important and people, for people to know. And that was and that was before social media. Like this absolutely. is all before social media. And and in a way it was so much harder then because you just couldn't touch people yeah. unless you're on radio, TV yeah. or in the newspaper, you couldn't touch people. Mm. You had, it was very hard to well, like now every I, I always joke you can have two followers on Instagram mm. and you're famous to those two people. Yeah. Because yeah. they see you every day. They, and if they saw you down the street, they go, wow, there's Paul. What am I, I follow him because he's got two followers. So yeah. it's a lot easier now to be insta-famous or famous, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's why I want to be on television because I just knew that it could, it could, it wasn't about me, but I bought this business and I wanted my business because the way I wanted to be the best tackle shop in the world. Yeah. And I think the only way to do that, if I can sort of make myself semi-famous, people want to come and see me, they'll want to come and see my shop and it'll grow and it worked because literally being on TV just brought people in the door and the business, it, it doubled its turnover in like two years, which that is, is unheard such, of. That's such a brilliant and, story. And, then, and, and you opened another shop too because you had one in Cranbourne and now you've got one in Mornington, don't you? 
Yeah, so um, there's been a few shops along the way. So first one in Cranbourne, we moved Cranbourne after four years to a location that was twice the three times the size. Yeah. Then we moved that. Then we extended that. So now it's about now it's seven times the size of the original shop. Then we opened Shimano World in Berwick. New World Honda had a position there. I was there for seven years until that, they uh, right, changed yeah. their business plan. Yeah. So I, that was, but that was the first ever fishing tackle store in Australia, possibly the world. I'm not sure that only sold one brand. And wow. it was ahead of its time because it was called Shimano World, only sold Shimano. And now there's a lot of those sorts of shops. If you go to DFO, you've got Nike shops, you've got Adidas shops, you've got yeah. uh, Timberland shops. So it was so far ahead of its time and it was it was awesome. Everyone said it failed, but it actually did really well. Yeah. And that was the step stone. Then I bought Bill Fisher Tackle in Frankston. And that's that's a long story, but um, that was a shop I shopped at when I was a kid. And basically, unfortunately, they um, they went broke and had some massive bills. And I got a call one day from a um, debt collector oh. saying this business for sale. And I thought, why are you ringing me? And they were basically desperate for tenders. And I ended up putting a tender in. And I I sort of just did it because I thought, look, it's an opportunity. And I literally went so low ball. It was ridiculous thinking, look, if I, and I got a phone call on Monday morning saying I was the only person who put a tender in. Oh, wow. So yeah. I bought I bought this business lock, stock and barrel, like literally gave me the key to a business that I've shopped at since I was 14 years old. And I, it was, it was embarrassing what I paid for it. It was embarrassing, but it was great because what it allowed me to do was um, I tried to trade the business, didn't work. So we closed it down over six months. We then used the funds to start yeah. Tackle with Boynton, which yeah. was a place I really want to own a shop because I live 10 minutes down the road. Yeah. Um, and that basically funded the opening of that business. Now that business is seven years old. And um, I almost, it's funny, I almost feel like I'm having an affair when I go there because it's all <laughs> neat, beautiful. It's like the hot, the hot young blonde and my old ragged, my old ragged wife's in Cranbourne, but she's been so good to me all these years. And I go, oh. and I shop at more because I'm close, but yeah. I actually feel like I'm beaten when I go there. It's really weird. Oh, that's funny. Well, this is such a great story. I'll tell you what. And now your family, um, your your wife and your son have now become part of the show too. So can you tell us a little bit about that? What A lot of people wouldn't work with their family, but you've decided to, to work with your wife and son and they do a wonderful job. They've got their own, you know, their own celebrity themselves. So tell me a little bit about that. What was the decision making there? So I've always worked with my wife. So my, my wife, her dad, is the guy who bought the shop off. Right. So I've known Chris since she was six years old and Gosh. we've been mates since, since we were kids. So we grew up fishing together. She worked at the shop with me. And for most weekends, like, so I worked at the shop Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, throughout high school and uni. I was doing minimum 40 hours a week. So I did every Saturday and Sunday with her at the shop, just the two of us. We ran the thing. And then when I bought it, she worked Friday nights, like just 30 hours a week. So she basically followed the path I did. And when we eventually hooked up, obviously we already fished together. We we knew each other. We were best mates. So we've always lived in each other's pockets. So for, well, she turned 40 this year. So for the last 34 years, we've basically worked, lived, breathed, haven't left each other's side. And the thing with being away and traveling, I have a simple philosophy. And if you're spending 20, like I travel up to 40 weeks a year when we're not in lockdown. Yeah. If you're spending 40 weeks a year away from your family, that family ain't going to survive. It's not going to work. And yeah. No. And um, we try to never spend more than two weeks apart. Uh, very rare that might happen, but about 14 days is the maximum before we start to get a bit separated. So we'll, we'll work on those things. So, so they've sort of integrated into the show because they're part of my life and they've been traveling with me and whatever else. So, and then all of a sudden jet comes along and, um, 
Jeff is actually, his name came about because we struggled to have a child. We did four years of IVF. And oh, right. when, we, when we finally figured out what the problem was, it was Christy has a blood clotting disorder and we were pretty sure that her body was seeing any embryo clot and trying to get rid of it. Right. That's, that, that's the roundabout. You think she's getting pregnant, but her body's just getting rid of it all the time. So they finally put on a drug called Clexane. Now, Clexane is the nastiest injection you'll ever have in your life. It's like you've got to do it in the abdomen and it's a little, and it's like literally putting acid in somebody. It stings and it burns. So when she got pregnant, she had to have a Clexane injection every single day of her pregnancy. Now, I was filming, I was filming the second series of iFish at the time. This is in 2006. Yeah. And she didn't trust anybody to give her the injection except me because it was one in the morning and one at night from memory. So she literally travelled all over Australia and stayed in some of the dodgiest joints ever just so I could inject her morning and night. And one of the dodgiest places we stayed in, and don't hate me, Tasmania, but a place called Cressy in this dodgy hotel, it was just like a dorm. She sat there all day, watched TV, went for walks just so I could inject her morning and night. So uh, when we finally had my boy, she'd obviously travelled and done all that stuff with him, but we decided to call him Jet because he'd travelled on that many flights in Vico. <laughs> that we thought Jet would be a cool name. And then I wanted a fishing name as well, so I came up with Reef. And Christy wasn't that keen because she's like, that's a bit corny. But then one night, I, it's all about how you deliver things. I remember I was in bed and I said, you know when you're going along in the boat and you're not catching, it's all barren and you come across a reef and you just find life. I said, I want to call our boy Jet Reef because it's a sign of life. And she got all the tears. Beautiful. Um, oh, so then that is beautiful. So then we got this little boy. And I'll never forget the first time I put him on the show because I just, he was there and I had him in my arms and he was like three months old. And he was just, and I gave him a kiss, said, see you later, I'm going fishing. And then it just sort of happened because we were a family and it was working and people, I think too many fishing shows in the past and too many things have been really blokey, like have a beer, get, did you get a bite, mate? And realistically, that's, that's not what people want to see. What people have families, at the end of the day, I think for every person, whether you're husband, wife, whatever, your greatest goal in life is the happiness and healthiness of your family. That is it. it. Is. Yeah. And that's why we do what we do. So I thought if people are seeing my family having a great time, that's going to inspire them to have a great time. That's, and they're going to, maybe they can't, maybe they lost their child or maybe, maybe they lost their dad or, and we are able to bring them the joy that they can't have, but they can say, Hey, that would have been nice to do. Or maybe, maybe we visit a place where they did go on a fishing trip once, that's or maybe brilliant. they just, Maybe they're just inspired because um, their life's crap at the moment. They're looking for something. They go, you know what? I'd like to go and do that caravan park trip they didn't catch. So life's out there and it's all happening. But the biggest thing I think people have problems with is being inspired. Yeah. Like you can buy a book on, I can buy a book on fishing and read it, but all that information's there already if I want to go and search for it. But people don't want to search. They want to put it on their lap. Yeah. So just become about sharing our journey a little bit. Not almost Leyland Brothers type style, which I remember, but I didn't really copy that. It was just we're doing our thing yeah. and, and we were just rolling with the punches. And I was also, and I am, extremely proud of my wife and I'm extremely proud of my boy because like, you're like your kids, you love them to death. But because we worked so hard to have our child, I just feel that we're not more grateful, but we're sort of more grateful. We like it just didn't happen. We worked and we, so Absolutely. I just want to be with, be with them every second. And, and he, thank God, loves fishing. He's a fishing nut. Uh-huh. He drives me insane. Um, <laughs> so, in fact, when we, when we get off this call, I'm going to do a little bit of drone fishing on YouTube with a bit of fun. Um, uh-huh. But he, he loves it, lives for it. So why not do it together? And, That's and, and when you look at, like this morning, I was looking at some memories on Facebook. I had a spare five minutes. And two years ago, we were in Huskinson, Jarvis Bay, catching kingfish. 
think um, four years ago in the Cook Islands, five years ago, uh, we might have been in Florida, I think. And it was just, I'm just going, how? And this is, well, uh, three, years, three years ago, I was in Eagle Hawk Deck, Tasmania with him catching bluefin tuna and oh. a thousand pound swordfish. Like, and these are experiences that he's so lucky to have had. And for us to have them together, that's just awesome. Isn't it? Isn't it? And actually, that was going to be one of my next questions. And um, obviously, we're in lockdown at the moment. And this must be an amazing time for you, like from, from that point of not being able to fish, because here in Victoria, we're not allowed to even go fishing at the moment. Um, so it would be killing you, I can imagine. But um, where, where has been your favourite destination in the world to fish? That is such a tough question. That's, oh, I always say, oh, like, people have two kids. Which one's your favourite? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. You can't <laughs> choose. But um, every area has its own reason. And I always do say I go fishing not to catch fish, but I go fishing for the people and the places. The, the wonderful people I've met around the world who have become incredible friends and the places I have seen, I'm so lucky because most people, if they can say a place, mm. there's a pretty good chance of being there. And I go, yep, I fished there, I did this. And you don't just think about a place. You actually can see the streets, you see the hotel you stay, you see. And the one place comes to mind, it's Atataki, a very small place in the Pacific Islands that I've been to, sorry, in the Cook Islands in the Pacific. I've Cook been there about five times. Yeah. And um, I, I met a guy called E2. And it all come about, I was in Valencia. Um, Christy and I went to Spain for the weekend once, which is a funny story. Um, I was in Valencia. My friend Casey was racing his last MotoGP race. And um, we went over there to watch the race and we're laying on the floor of his motorhome before the race. And he said, now I'm going to retire at, at the end of this year. Where do we go? So we're literally sitting there brainstorming. And, and I said, what about the Cook Islands? We had no idea what it was. We just threw it out there, started Googling. And we found this guy called E2 Davey, who was a local bone fishing guide guru. So we went to the Cook Islands with the four of us and our kids, met E2. We become great friends. Uh, I just spent Christmas two weeks there again. It's just one of those places that when I'm there, I feel like I'm at home. And there's that many places like that around Australia, around the world. Um, Christy says this beautiful thing. We just got back from Antarctica about a month ago. Wow. And she said, and she said, there's never a dollar you'll spend on travel that you'll regret. No. And we could have another rental property perhaps or we could have some more money in the bank or a nicer car, but we've spent a lot of money on travel and we don't regret it because I've lost way too many friends way too early. you just got to live life and enjoy it. And, and travel is one of those things you always, it, it just, it uplifts you and it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, and you learn so much from it. It's, it's fantastic. The, um, if, if you weren't fishing, Paul, what would you be doing? What do you think you'd be doing? Um, if you weren't a fisherman, well, sadly, I'd probably be a PE teacher, and and I say sadly because it would have lasted about two days because I'm not <laughs> I'm not great with um, rules and regulations. Uh, right, I been right. a lot. But the other the other love I have is real estate. Okay. And I I did think a while back, like before the fishing thing, I did think that I might become a real estate agent because I just I just love real estate. I love everything about it. Uh, it's my hobby. Uh, I I. I it's, it's probably how I've made more money than anything else because very average normal people can make really good money out of real estate if they buy and hold. It's that simple. Mm. I'll never forget my dad. I'd bought the business. I'd been in it for about a year. And my dad said, you need to buy a house. And I was, and I was like, are you an idiot? I've got all this debt. And he goes, no, you don't understand. You can't have, you can't pay too much off. We get this tax bill. I didn't know how tax worked. I learned that quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. so go and buy a house. So I went and looked and I'll never forget. Uh, I bought, my first house, it would have been, I'm guessing, 1997 in Berwick. Mm -hmm. Paid 
$22,500 for it. And the rent was covering more than the mortgage. And I still own it today and it's worth about 900. And I just thought, how easy is this? I, it's not, and they always say McDonald's doesn't make money on hamburgers. They make money on real estate. So I just love the whole concept that, that average Marapa kettle can put a little bit of money aside, have a go and, and make some serious money to retire on. And I just reckon real estate's pretty exciting because it, it, when it goes up and then it goes down, it goes up. It's just, it's a fun thing to be involved with. It is, it is. You're right. And it's, especially the last 20 years, it's just gone straight up. Um, now, what's been your most emotional experience whilst you've been travelling, where you've been somewhere you never thought this emotional experience would come, you know, might have come at, at the most strangest time? What, can you think of any, any time that really stands out? There, there's, there's hundreds, and, and I can't even begin to bore you with how many, but... Well, look, one one fishing one that is just it's just so special. I fished for twenty years to try and catch a swordfish, mm-hmm. and it's not a male. People listening, it's a swordfish. Uh, scientific name Ziphius gladius. It was like it was like being eighteen and trying to hook up with a supermodel. It was never going to happen, like especially with a head like this. And <laughs> I just wanted a swordfish so bad. So I fished for twenty years to try and catch one. Twenty years, and in twenty years of travelling around Australia, fishing all night, miles of shore, I never got a bite. In 20 years so eventually I went to Florida to fish with the best guy in the world uh, because I just want and I got a bite and I didn't hook it after all that so I come home but I'd learned how to possibly catch a swordfish because he showed me the technique I just didn't know how to do it so we went to Exmouth on holidays one of my favorite places in Australia and we saw a squid in the marina swimming along and Jet said there's a squid dad I'm gonna catch it so cast a squid you got caught the squid we put it in the hotel room in the freezer and we went fishing two days later. We're out there fishing. We caught this, caught, we caught everything. It's like one o'clock. And I said to my mate, why don't we try and catch a swordfish? Like we literally caught everything you can imagine. So we rigged this squid. I put it down 600 metres using two bricks as a bait, as a, as a sinker, sorry, and dropped it to the bottom. And it was down there for like 15 minutes. And my mate said, well, what does it look like when a swordfish hits? And I said, and I turned around and said like this. And Christy said, look, look. And it was happening to my rod. I went, no way. So I started winding and we weren't quite sure. It's a funny thing, but you're using real heavy gear and when swords get hooked, they swim to the top to see what's going on. So I yeah. couldn't feel much. And then next thing we literally saw a swordfish. Now I can't even try and explain what that meant. It'd be like, I got nothing. It's like it's something that's never going to happen in your life, like ever in a billion years. And it's just there on the end of your line after 20 years of hard work. Well, we grabbed the fish, we lifted in the boat. I was on the boat with Christy Jet and my friend. Quick video, we put a tag in it. Now, the other great thing is most people catch the first fish of the like whatever and they kill it because they want to weigh it. They want, well, I just couldn't bear to kill this fish because it was too amazing. So I put a tag in it, released it. And I'm not a very religious person, even though I went to Catholic schools and I went to church every Sunday till I was 18 years old. But I actually looked up, I remember the feeling, and I just said, if you're there and you're real, just take me now because my life is complete. And I, I just, it was like I was numb for days. Really? Yeah. Because I'd accomplished something that I didn't feel was even possible. Like these things, it'd be like, it'd be like if you're a hunter and you, and you found a unicorn. That's how I felt. <laughs> and, um, and then once I figured it out, I did a lot more of it and I'd become pretty good at it. And uh, it's funny, uh, April 12, which is just a couple of days ago, we, we um, had a bit of a gag with my friends. They got me a T-shirt that says April 12, it's my sword anniversary. Oh. Because I went, to, I went down to Tassie and I caught three swordfish in three drops doing some scientific work. 
and oh. uh, the biggest one, 270 kilos, and that's never been done in the history of fishing in Australia. And then a year later, went back April 14, which is tomorrow, I think. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. my anniversary of the biggest swordfish ever caught. Five hours and 20 minutes on 37 kilo line, and it's I believe it could be the largest swordfish ever caught and released in the world. Um, and would have been the biggest one ever landed in Australia. But again, I chose to let it go. We put a satellite tag in it and that fish swam for 150 days. We followed its movement. So not only was I able to conquer the swordfish, but I'm pretty proud of the fact that I didn't have to kill it and hang it up and get a photo with it to try and prove who I was or what I was doing. Cause I think there's a bit too much of that. I think take a fish and eat it, great. But if you've got to kill stuff just for a photo, I think that's a bit sad. Yeah, I think um, I think that that's a that's a great story, and I think um, with that story, you've answered two two questions. Another question I was going to ask is tell us a, a fishing tale, one of your best fishing tales, which is probably that one, is it? Yeah, look, there, there are many. I've got yeah. absolute crackers, but um, that that for me is everything, and um, it was literally achieving the holy grail. I felt a bit empty since because it was like. If you're a mountain climber, once you climb Everest, what do you do then? Like yeah. I've literally, it was my Everest, I climbed it, and now I'm like, all these other mountains aren't quite as exciting as that. So <laughs> what, what I'm getting out of that is I'm really enjoying helping other people catch their first fish or their biggest fish because I can never catch my first marling and I can never catch my first 40-pound uh, barramundi. I can never, but I can watch and help someone else, and that's where Christy and Jack come in at all, or watch and help okay. other kids and um I've been lucky enough to do some work with the Starlight Foundation and I've oh. taken some fishing who, it's really sad, but you're taking fish and they all want to go fishing or I put them on my show and you, just to see the smile on their face and to take them away from that moment they're in for a period of time, um, that, that's, when, that's when you realise that that's another joy you can get from fishing and fishing isn't just about catching something, put on a plate and eating it. It is oh. way bigger than that. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. How, um, how have you been keeping yourself entertained while, while you've been in lockdown? I'm very, very lucky in that I live on three and a half acres. And normally my dad comes a day a week. He just loves potting around and helping out, but he can't come. So I've been mowing lawns. I've, I've done things because I travel, as I said, up to 40 weeks a year. I'm never home. In it, some months, I have not been home one day for the whole month at times. Christy's met me at the airport, swapped gear, have a cuddle and then go again, or she's then come on the next journey with me. So it's been very tough to do anything. So I've been cleaning my fishing room. You see behind me here, it's all looking okay. very, very neat, very, very neat and tidy. Um, so I've been doing the best to, to get on top of that. Uh, I've been, I top dress my lawn because I've been <laughs> mowing it. This is hard work. So I've put beautiful soil and grass seeds. I've got a pig. I spent three days cleaning the pig paddock, just, just getting rid of oh. dead leaves and just trying to make the place as perfect as it can be. And I think, um, that, that work ethic that was instilled in me by my dad as a kid and the fact that he worked so hard seven days a week his whole life, I think I get great joy from accomplishing things. Yeah. You don't have to make money. You don't have to even be seen by anyone. But I can just step back at the end of doing a really menial task and go, that's done. Like I had a pile of soil in my driveway. Yeah, I was waking up in the morning excited because I thought I might actually move it all today. And that's really weird. It's just, that's just the sort of thing that floats my boat. So yeah. I get excited about And it's something, about you, something you don't probably usually do because, as you say, you're always out at sea. So Exactly. And mowing the lawn is just the most fun ever. I love it. So I've been doing, trying to spend a lot of time with the boy as well, um, but I am letting him play video games more than he ever has because he's <laughs> locked down. But we're very lucky. We've got, we've got neighbours who live on five acres next door and we share a fence. Uh -huh. So we've been doing it camping. We've got our caravan on our side, theirs on their side, and the fence is our border. 
and we can literally go down and have a drink in the evening, put the fire on and uh, do the right thing, but at least get the mind working. Oh, sounds good. So you're holidaying from home. <laughs> yeah, correct. And it's pretty good. Now, tell us something that um, people would be surprised to know about you, Paul. Um, there's a lot of things. No, probably, probably <laughs> the biggest thing, everybody looks from the outside and I'm very uncomfortable with, with, with the C word, which is celebrity. I don't, I don't get, I'm no celebrity. I just get up and I seriously get up and have a coffee and, and then go to the talk like every other person in the morning. We just do the only difference I always say to my boy about my life than any other dad's life at school is that I film parts of mine. But what the butcher's doing or what the builder's doing, it's exactly the same. If they film that, then people would look at them differently. But we're no different. And I don't see myself as different, but I know other people do look. So it's a bit of a weird thing. But um, where am I going here? Basically, <laughs> what, what am I trying to say? Basically, it's, um, it's, a bit of a weird, it's a bit of a weird situation that we're put in. Mm. But we're, we're just doing normal old things, normal old whatever. And... Um, yeah, I'm a bit lost because I feel I, it's it's hard. It's like what what star sign are you? I'm a Taurus. So, because so, and what does it feel like to be a Taurus? Well, that's a good question. It feels well. I, you know what? I think I because I believe in this stuff. I like I like yep. this. But for a Taurus, I like to. I've got to know what's happening. I've got to be in control, I suppose. And I yep. like good. I like good quality things in life. Like if I'm going to buy something, I like to buy it and it's going to last. Um, yep. Yeah. So I suppose. But, so you know how you feel, but it's very hard to feel like a Taurus. Yeah. And, yeah, I, yeah. I, and I know as a Scorpio, I know how I feel, but it's very hard to feel like a Scorpio. It's just what I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so a lot of people think, oh, um, Paul's life is perfect because I've seen him on TV. He's a, he's a celebrity. I hate that word again. Yeah, they've got it in your mind. But what they don't see is the hard work. And what one thing people don't know is when Christy and I were trying to have our boy through IVF, my niece passed away at 17 of a, an asthma attack, oh. which was very hard for our whole family. She lived with me growing up. So oh, it's um, devastating. like my little sister. Of I had course. some major, major issues at work. And I, I don't know if I had a, a breakdown, but I was pretty close to it. Mm. And... I literally thought I was going to die because there's not much pain all the time. And after a year of tests, they figured out I had this thing called ankylosing spondylosis. Now that is an immune disorder that the easiest way to describe it is every morning you wake up and you literally feel like you're carrying someone else on your shoulders all day. So every part of you aches, your bones ache, your ligaments ache, your muscles ache, you feel tired, um, you get sore throats all the time. You're basically your immune system is shot. And uh-huh. Some, some people have the gene and then it just takes something that triggers it and you're gone. So for the last, uh, I was 30, I think I was about 30, or, yeah, easy, Jet's 13. It happened when we were pregnant with Christy, him. So 14 years, I literally woke up every morning feeling like I've got the worst hangover in the world. And when I fly on an aeroplane, aeroplanes are horrible. It takes me about three days to recover from the joint pain, the bone pain, the muscle pain. And I've probably... Been pretty sure I was going to die about 20 times in the last 14 years because I always joke to myself, you can't be in this much pain and not die. Mm. Um, mm. So I've had to manage that in amongst a lot of other things and and I'm not too embarrassed to say there's been, I'll say many nights, quite a few nights where I've been in a hotel room somewhere all by myself in the middle of nowhere and I've cried myself to sleep because I've been in pain. That much pain. I haven't seen my wife for a week. I haven't seen my boy, had a tough day. Um, there's a lot of pressure on. 
and I'm in that much pain that I've literally cried myself to sleep. And, and there's no medication, no medication for that? There's nothing I've, that you can take? I've, I've been on up to 15 different tablets a day. I was taking injections uh, every day, every fortnight, but they affect your immune system. Like, so I actually made the decision about 12 months ago that I'm going to stop all medication and just see how I go because it looks somewhere. And you know what? I've actually been as good or better than I've ever been. Oh, and I'm just trying to keep moving, stay positive, um, do all those sorts of things. But if I literally, like we do a bit of kayak filming on the show, if I sit in a kayak for half an hour, I can't walk for a day. Right. Um, every morning it's like stepping on. So that's and the only reason I'm even bothering to tell you this is just for people who are looking in at my celebrity life and all the wonderful things, it actually, there are many times when it sucks, but I don't allow it to suck. And my wife has a beautiful saying that she basically says, you get to choose who you want to be. You get to choose if you want to be the victim or you get to choose if you want to beat it. And I just choose to beat it. I ignore it. And when I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack, I always think I'll wait six weeks. If the pain's still there, I'll go to the doctor. Normally after that four and a half, the pain moves and it goes somewhere else. So just, I know a lot of, a lot of people, their life sucks. A lot of people, they haven't found the right person or, or they're in a relationship that they're unhappy with, or they've got a shit job. You've got to understand other people have these similar problems. I obviously love my wife. I'm very lucky. What a great, but I've got my problems too. Everyone's got their problems. If you sit down on the piss with someone, have a good chat. Yeah. Doesn't matter who you are. People got issues. Yeah. Everyone's it's human. You, it's how you choose to deal with those. And I've I've had my struggles. Don't worry. But I think people need to know that that don't get don't get upset because you think we're we're living this great life. We are, but we've still got our issues as well, and we just choose to to work them as best we can. That's that's really that's great advice for people too listening. So, thanks for that. Now, before we wind up, I've got one more question. What's next for Paul Worsling? What are you up to next? Can you can you share anything with us? Anything? Well, as soon as we get off this, we get off this call, I'll be having another coffee. I need that bad. Um, look, I actually don't know what's next. This whole um, this whole lockdown COVID thing has really kicked me for six. So, imagine your whole life revolves around fishing. I'm talking every single thing I do is fishing. Uh, I own two fishing tackle stores. I have a fishing TV show. Um, I'm, I'm in the fishing business with tackle. So everything, and it's gone overnight, which is I never thought I'd be saying that. So mm-hmm. my tackle stores, they're in limbo. I'm thinking about closing them very shortly because we can't afford to keep them open for the time being. Mm-hmm. And I fish after 15 years. I don't know if it's going to continue because I've moved the start date back to September to give me another three months. But at the moment, I can't travel. I can't talk to sponsors because they're either not in their business or they're so I just have to wait and see. So business-wise, what I am doing now, I'm seeing this is a really good opportunity because I feel like for the last 30 years I've been on the hamster wheel. And I often said to my wife, I just would like to get off that hamster wheel and take a breath and enjoy the world. Because even though I'm enjoying it, I'm moving through it so quick, it's hard to smell the roses. So, so true. I'm, I'm seeing this is my opportunity to get off that wheel, mm-hmm. just Take a deep breath and enjoy. And even though it sucks, I'm trying to ignore the financial part of it, ignore and just think if I got this opportunity, what would I do with it? So I'm, I'm trying to live and love every day, um, trying to just enjoy being at home and the simple little things and organising and, and having a fire and, and talking. Like Christy and I live and breathe together, but some days we don't talk because I'm just running or I'm away. And it, like not as much as I'd like to. Not, not the, you talk, but not those things you really just want to shoot the shit about or be deeply meaningful about so we are in that fact i'm enjoying this but 
long term, I'm hoping more of the same. I'm hoping uh, I can continue my fishing show for a little bit longer, um, spend a bit more time with the family to be nice. I want to just dial, dial the work down a little bit and uh, basically just stop and smell the rose. I think that's the most important thing for all of us. Uh, mm-hmm. We all try to create wealth. We all try to build castles. We all try to achieve mighty things. But if you don't actually take the time to enjoy them, uh, what's the point? The old the old Chinese proverb I think I heard the other day was at the end of the chess game, the king and the pawn go in the same box. There you go. And that, that really struck a chord with me because mm. at the end of the day when, when you're dead and buried, it's all over and, and no one's going to stand and go, geez, what a great bloke. What a... It's just about what you could actually achieve and get out of it yourself. That's so um, true. That's so true. And, and exactly what you're saying, we're all going through the same thing at the moment. It doesn't matter whether you're poor, rich, who you are. We're all going through this at the same time, aren't we? And it, and it just shows you, you know. It's, um, and, and as I said to someone else the other day, I think it's a good time for the world to realise that greed isn't good. It's, it's not a time to be greedy. It's just a time to actually go back. And Christy and I go for a walk every day about four o'clock for an hour around the neighbourhood. And I said, there it is so beautiful. People who normally wouldn't even look up, everybody's saying hello. People just want to talk to you. How are you going? It's there's the best sense of community I've ever felt. And I live in a beautiful community. Yeah. So, so if we take all those positives, it's actually been a really refreshing breath of fresh air. And um, yeah, let's all just get the most out of it. Let's do the right thing because I do want to come out to the side. I want to go fishing, but uh, it has been it has been really really nice. Well, Paul, you've been a breath of fresh air for the show. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I've really, really, you've been an absolute delight. And you're, um, I just love your passion. I think it just shows people what you can achieve with passion in life. And um, I thank you for being my guest today. And I'll meet you in the lobby lockdown. Absolute pleasure. It was, it was nice being locked down with you and uh, great to catch up after all these years. Thanks heaps. Fabulous. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Cheers.